even as a kid, I remember looking at all the jobs, traditional employment. This is a huge theme for me and thinking, I know that's not going to work. So my plan A is some weird kind of career. And my plan B, I kid you not, this is, must have been like high school, middle school. I thought, I'm really good at acting strange. And I could just fake, <laughs> fake going crazy. And they'll just go take care of me somewhere. gun here and welcome to season four of the future podcast i'm super excited to tell you about today's episode because i think it's the perfect way to start our new season our guest is a podcaster a public speaker and an illustrator who goes by the delightful name andy j pizza and he's a man of many talents now andy describes himself as a personal growth junkie but i think his real secret weapon is knowing the value of his creativity and then understanding how to use it in the world of business in this episode, Andy and Chris talk about just how he built this remarkable career that seems to balance everything that he's so very passionate about. Communicating big ideas, helping creators find their way, and doing it all on his terms. But life isn't always cheese and pepperoni. Um, I'm sorry. Especially when you have ADHD and you'd rather go to jail than do your taxes. Now, I'm not going to spoil any of the good stories for you, but I will say that whoever you are, you will love listening to this episode. And hopefully you'll learn something from it too. Please enjoy our extra goat cheese, hold the mushrooms conversation with Andy J. Pizza. Okay, now before we get going here, sure, uh, I know who you are. I know your real name too. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> and there's an interesting story behind why you're known as Andy J. Pizza. Can you, uh -huh. can you introduce yourself and tell us what you do and why the name Andy J. Pizza? Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm Andy J. Pizza. I'm also known as Andy J. Miller to my wife and kids. Um, although my dad has started calling me Dr. Pizza and it's really, <laughs> it's, the, it's the worst. It's like being trolled by your dad. Every time I call him, he's like, Dr. Pizza. And I'm like, dad, don't do that. Um, but I'm a, I'm a podcaster and a public speaker and I'm an illustrator. Um, and I, you know, basically whatever I'm doing though, I think I'm always illustrating. I'm always mm -hmm. illustrating a point, whether it's words or pictures it, you know, I might use an analogy in a talk or I might use a picture on Instagram. Instagram or with a client. Um, but I'm always, I'm always trying to explain something. I think I'm, I, I like to communicate. And, um, the reason Andy J pizza is because like I said, my name, my name's actually Andy J Miller. It, there's like, when I go to the local gym here and I'm set and they say, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Andrew Miller. They're like, Oh, we've got 35 of those just in this County. And I'm like, wow. no, it's like, you know, it's just, it's the least common name. And so my website used to be Andy-J-Miller.com, which is just the, the worst. And every, every, you know, Instagram, Twitter, I had a different handles. It was a disaster. And then they came out with the dot pizza instead of dot com. And I was like, oh, I'm, I have a problem with pizza. Like I like it too much. And so I feel like this is a good fit. It'd be Andy-J.Pizza. And then everyone just thought that was my name. <laughs> so, so I just rolled with it. I'm cool with it. The only, the only downside is I, I changed all of my handles and all that stuff on my website at the same time that I really changed my diet. And so I've never eaten less pizza in my life since I've been known <laughs> as Andy J pizza. And I'll go to talks and they'll be like, here's 40 pizzas. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to quit, please. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, that's yeah, Andy J pizza. I love it. And it's become kind of like, it encapsulates a little bit of your personality, in my opinion. I think right? it does. I really do think it does. And, I, you know, I think it's an interesting, um, I think it marks for me a weird, a weird type of growth calling myself pizza is I know that none of my heroes would have done that. You know, all of my creative heroes were a lot more serious than I am. And I think that marked a period of my time where I started to uh, do the important thing on your journey, which is to kind of disobey your heroes and find your own points mm. of view and all that kind of stuff. So for me, uh, I do think there was a kind of coming into my own when I made mm -hmm. that switch. Um, and it, yeah, it, it rings true. I would say. I think that, um, your personality, the idea behind the name and all that kind of stuff, it's going to weave throughout this. It's part of, 
I, I like I think it's it just like even your visual language. Like when I look at your work, mm. it's optimistic. It's fun. It's vivid. Uh, it feels positive, right? Yeah. So, like, who yeah. doesn't love pizza, and then who doesn't love this art? It's just like it's a you. It's like a pizza party. That's my. Yeah. That's my whole my whole vibe. And it's all you know. I also think pizza is kind of like decadent uh, and and over the top. And I feel like that it describes you know. I've got hundreds of hundreds of hours of me talking on the internet. There's thousands and thousands of pieces of work on the internet, and I. That it's just more. So it's like, uh, we, yeah, it's, it, it's fitting, I think. Mm. Yeah. Now, when you introduce yourself, it's very interesting. I don't know if this is deliberately or whatever, but you said, I'm a podcaster, a public speaker, and an illustrator. Mm -hmm. Is it really in that order these days? Yeah, I actually, uh, I think so. I think that that might be a little bit of my ADHD showing of, you know, I feel like every decade I kind of have a new obsession. And, and for the past five years, I've been really obsessed with storytelling and story structure and and stuff like that. And so my, my, my whole kind of mindset has shifted. But I also think something happens as you... Uh, you know, get it further down the road in something like illustration where you get less precious about it. So I just, I do the job and I, and I, and I care about what it says more than how it looks most of the time. And, mm -hmm. and I think I'm just, I think illustration just kind of became a skill that I could do to further my bigger missions. Uh, and, and I think that, and also, all you know, the truth is, I think that um, finding public speaking and podcasting was kind of a return to who I think more of my true self from when I was a kid. Uh, I think illustration, illustration was a choice that I think was more about a path of something I thought I could achieve and something I could be successful in and less of like, uh, this is my passion and my calling. Um, so now it's more, I feel like, oh, it's a really good skill. It's like a great way. Like, you know, I illustrated the podcast cover, uh, on Apple podcasts and everywhere. And that was it, you know, that's one of the, they early on Apple actually had me sign an agreement that said they could use that artwork and different promo things for podcasts. And, you know, that illustration has become a really useful tool, but I feel like I don't think of it much more than that. Mm. Um, it's not really the why it's more of the how I go about doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So let's talk a little bit about the podcast for a sec. So you have, I think by last count, something north of 285 episodes under your belt. Yeah. And what's interesting about you today, yeah, <laughs> unlike other people, <laughs> yeah, is that you do a lot of monologues. You're, you're, it's not a guest driven and it's you doing your thing. So yeah. I have so many questions as a content creator, as a storyteller myself. It, like, what's your process like? How much of this is scripted? Like, how much of a plan do you have going into these things? Uh, yeah. Can you share a little yeah. bit about your process? I can, yeah, I can tell you a lot about it. I uh, So yeah, it's monologues. And really, that was by design. And, and we'll probably get into this later. But one of the key things that I learned in my uh, creative career was to just mirror the opportunities that I want before I get asked to do something, just prove that I can do it. Just show through projects, kind of write my own dream brief and just do it. And so I started the podcast, obviously, primarily, and we'll probably get into this too. Uh, I've always had this deep passion for helping creative people, people that are, you know, might be considered neurodiverse rather than neurotypical people who the, the, the regular path to career success doesn't really work for them. I've always, I have plenty of reasons why that's been a passion for me since I was little actually. Um, but, uh, strategically and career wise, the reason, I, you know, I think for the first something like hundred episodes, we didn't even have any guests. Um, it was, it was completely monologue. We stuck, we probably still have two thirds monologue, one third guests. And the design of that was I started that podcast as a portfolio of talks so that I could start because I wasn't getting any speaking gigs. I did this one little tiny speaking gig uh, at my in my hometown. It was just a tiny little thing. And there was just something that happened there that I was like, boo, I think there's something to this thing. And, and sometimes and my wife was there and she's like the best, most honest critic and, uh, and sometimes I'll feel like, you know, I'll make a new drawing or something. I'll be like, I think there's something 
new and special in this. What do you think, Sophie? And she's like, I don't think so. I think, and, and most of the time, most of the time, she's right. And 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 so I know I always test my like little you know inclinations. And so I did that talk, and she was there. And then afterwards, I was like, Am I crazy, or was that like different than anything I've ever done? And she was like, Yeah, that was. You need to do something mm-hmm. about this. And so I, 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 that was the impetus behind starting the podcast of, let me just put a hundred. Uh, talks online and just be like, look, I could talk all day. I got millions of talks in me. Like, book me at your conference. And that's how my public speaking uh, uh, career started. And right. and so that, yeah, I think that that was always by design. And then over time, there just became a lot of good reasons to have, to have guests. To your question about um, process, I think a lot of people probably think that it's really loose uh, and unplanned. And I know that, uh, you know, at least some of the uh, listeners enjoy my tangents and whatever, but it's, I have ADHD uh, and, and, you know, it can be a real blessing, but in the, in the way of, you know, just speaking off the cuff, if I didn't do the obsessive planning I do and outlining I do, it would be a complete and utter disaster. Mm. So a monologue episode uh, and there's kind of special, the, the ones I consider to be like special, some of them are kind of like answer Q and a kind of thing. And there's a bunch of different kind, but the, 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 the meat of the podcast are these special episodes that I'll work on and tinker with for usually a few months. You know, I have a bunch of documents in my phone, the notes, and, um, I'll use, I'll just get a, I'll get a little nugget of a story or I'll get a, a some, I'll talk with a creative person and there'll just be some, you know, often it's like dispelling a myth. It'll be like, this thing is hurting these people. This thing is not helping them live their, their best creative self. And I'll just, I'll just like, um, I'll, I'll put into, I'll put that into often like a story structure. Um, uh, and then I'll, and then I'll kind of, I have a, a basic format that starts with kind of introducing why we're talking about this to, to, you know, what, what you can actually do. So a lot there. And then I have each episode, I have kind of like uh, some basic things that need to be in there. So there, and this comes from, uh, and I'm getting in the super in the weeds. So I hope that uh, your listeners don't mind, but um, there's this thing from uh, Josh, Josh Kaufman from the personal MBA. It's a book. Um, and he has this thing. I think it was from a Harvard study of, you know, what are the types of value that people buy? Why do people buy what they buy? And he came up with these five, or they came up with these five things, and it's things that make you feel something, something uh, that helps you learn something, something that bonds you to other people, something that we can collect because we're just collectors, and the other one is something that helps you protect what you already have. And so that's part of my framework. I'm always trying to get something in each of those buckets. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put something in there. That's a personal story that makes you feel something. And I'm trying to put something, some really clear tactic that you put in there. That's you learning something that, you know, the bonding might be something like I share one of my experiences of how this hurt me or, or how I failed in this way or how I can relate and, and, you know, so on and so forth. And so, but I have like, I have like 10 or 15 of those little uh, frameworks for helping me get these monologues to, to whatever they are. <laughs> yeah, when I listen to your podcast, you have a lot of frameworks. Like you talk about being in the bathtub. Yeah. And the three things <laughs> yeah. you got to do. And you literally sound yeah. like you're doing those things. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, a personal growth junkie and, and, uh, you know, there's videos of me online. If you go, if you want to go, uh, look at one of my original Kickstarters, there's a video of me from like 10 years ago. And if you go watch that video, uh, it would be more believable for me to be, for me to tell you like, that's my cousin, Bruce. Uh, like, and you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. But if I was like, that's me, you'd be like, whoa, how is that you? So, I'm very into like personal development, personal journey. And, and I'm also, you know, with ADHD, I think, I think one of the superpowers is they're really right brained. They're really big picture thinking. And so I always start whenever anybody starts on anything, if you're going to start on a podcast, start on a kid's book, start on, let's a problem solve this brand, whatever it is. 
I think the, the natural thing is to start at step one, which is just like the surface level, like the basic things. And I always start step 10. It's how I always work backwards. It's a very strategic way of thinking. I, I'm always, I'm always thinking about the why or the, the deeper thing, but in order to get it to reverse engineer back to one and make it make sense to anybody else, I think I've had to acquire frameworks for just how am I going to make sense? Like, I know this is a thing or I know this matters to me. And so I've just been obsessed with collecting ways of um, rounding that weird brain out so that I can connect with other people. And, and, you know, it was as simple as growing up, my parents, my dad and my stepmom, who I was raised by, they, they were corporate people. And I had to figure out how do I explain to them that I'm not seeing and experiencing things exactly like they are? How, how do you get, you know, their brains work almost the same. How do, and I actually, when I was a kid, I would lie in bed when I was like six years old. And this is like a telling little metaphor of how I felt. And I would, I'd lay in bed and I'd be imagining that my dad and my stepmom are in the living room, but they've come into their true form as aliens <laughs> and like, and they had some, they had some device where I could walk in and they just instantly appear as human. And so I, f I think I just felt like misunderstood, not being able to express myself, you know, whatever. And I, I think I've clung to frameworks that have helped me make up for that kind of, that kind of stuff, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. That's really interesting because even though you felt like you didn't belong, and you're, you're a little weird. You imagine yeah. them being the aliens. I know. What I love that, that about you. It's, so, it's, so, it's like, they're the ones with the problem. Right. Like, I'm, the, I'm the normal <laughs> one around here. I don't know what that's all about, but yeah. Right. Most that's people funny. would envision themselves as alien and yeah. feeling like they have no friends and don't belong on this planet. Yes. And there you are. <laughs> and that's kind of in, indicative of, of a lot of the, the energy and the, the vibes that you throw up. You mm. remind me of my friend Jose, who also has ADHD. Yeah. And he's super bright very fast thinker, almost to his own detriment. So he's had to oh, develop yeah. systems so that he can stay focused. At first, 100%. I thought, like, you're you're being kind of hyperbolic here. You're just, are you demonstrating, is this a, a performance art piece? He would literally <laughs> uh, tape yeah. things around his glasses as yeah. blinders so that he, and he would put on, like, speed metal, mm -hmm. and, and then he could focus, and then he would create his worksheet. And the worksheet was, what are the three things you need to get done today? Yeah. What are the three things that are preventing you from doing that? And he would tell himself what to do. So every time he got yeah. distracted because something else was cool and shiny, he would go back to the sheet. I really and relate to that. For a non-ADHD person, I was like, that is a lot of extra effort. I just tell myself <laughs> I need to do this and I get it yeah. done. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's a lot of... Uh, I'm actually... Uh, working on some stuff that is NDA related, but it's mm -hmm. stuff that uh, is about telling the story of people with ADHD or ADD because you know, I'm so stoked about how there's been so many stories in the mainstream about autism and people on the spectrum. And I feel like our culture has come such a long way of understanding that and making space for that. But ADHD is still just a joke. It's just, you know, there, and I, and for me, that diagnosis was so helpful. And it also, I could see how my mom, who I believe has undiagnosed ADHD, how much that hurt her. People didn't, you know, if you don't have words for something, you're going you're gonna to reach for what you do have. And so they didn't have the words for ADHD, but they did have the word lazy or, you know, distracted or, you know, rambunctious or whatever. And, and I think um, to, to speak to, like, just to kind of explain your friend's process and all that stuff, for me... Um, the best explanation is your executive function is impaired, which just means the, the, the parent in your part of your brain just doesn't win any battles. They just like the only way the parent gets them to do anything is just through trickery. And so all those frameworks, that's my trickery. That's my executive function being like, how are we going to get Andy to do this stuff that he needs to do? What, like, what are all the tricks in the book? Because I don't have the thing that just kicks in. I have a, I have a little comic about doing my taxes as an ADHD person. And uh, it's a, an accountant talking to an ADHD person. And uh, the accountant's like, all right, you need to fill out all these forms and da-da-da-da. And the ADHD person's like, well, what happens if I don't do it? 
And then he's like, well, if you don't, I guess you go to jail. And then the ADHD person's like, shoo, man, I can't believe I almost did all that paperwork. You think I can take my, <laughs> you know, like, that's how I feel. The jail sounds and, pretty good. What yeah, it's like, you know, about? can you bring your art supplies to jail? Right. Like, yeah, that that's real for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So even as a kid, I remember looking at my, uh, looking at all the jobs, traditional employment, this is a huge theme for me, and thinking, I know that's not going to work. Mm. So my plan A is some weird kind of career. And my plan B, I kid you not, this is, must have been like high school, middle school. I thought, I'm really good at acting strange. And I could just fake, <laughs> fake going crazy. And they'll just go take care of me somewhere. And I'll just be doing my mm. thing. And that, that, was, that was a real thought. I don't know. I, you know I'm, not, I'm not saying I actually planned on it. But I thought about it. I was like, you know, worse comes to worse. I can fake ill and just I'll be they'll take care of me. And <laughs> just so everybody can understand what the heck Andy's saying. He's yeah. saying that uh, his backup career plan was to go into a mental institution, a psych ward. That's pretty and much And kind of live the good life. <laughs> that was your yeah. B, plan uh, B. That was my plan B. Wow. Yeah, that okay. was my plan B. This says a lot about you. Okay. It does. Yeah, it really does. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you can, you can, go, I, I could keep going. That's, uh, well, I That's ask why you there's all questions. these monologues. So get, yeah, yeah, I want to ask you more questions and, and feel sure. free to take any tangents that you wish. I'm enjoying okay. the conversation. Yeah. Okay. So podcasting is the main thing that you do. Is this also the main way that you support your life and your family? Yeah, I would say uh, the scales tipped over time. Mm -hmm. um, now it's pretty muddy, though, mm. because we actually, you know, I started a artist management agency with my buddy, Ryan Appleton, who was my agent. Um, and part of the kind of approach to that is uh, this idea of diverse creative content. So it's hard to even say whether I'm, and this is kind of gets to the question of, are you a, more of a podcaster or an, or an illustrator? Most of the things that we do there, it's multi-prong kind of collaboration. So when I work with Skillshare or Patreon or whatever, they do, you know, buy ads for the podcast, but we also create content for them and we create illustration for them. And, you know, whether it's for Instagram or an ad campaign or whatever. And so, and most of my stuff falls into multiple buckets and there's there's all kinds of good reasons for that approach and that strategy but that's kind of how my practice has evolved and so there's no real hard lines but i would say most of it is relating to the podcast but i will also say that um you know i don't have any problem with people starting a podcast to catalog their journey to success like I, that's totally legit but for me when I started my podcast, I'd already bought a house on illustration. I'd already worked with Google and Sony and da da da, da all these other clients. Um, and so uh, this move away from pure client illustration uh, was always in the plan. Mm. I always, that's what I always wanted. I wanted to make, I wanted to just, I wanted to muddy those waters. And all those labels are really helpful, I think, to, to people that are paying you. But for me, I was always trying to, get back get to an essence that is beyond all that the labels and i'll explain it sounds really mystical but i have an actual <laughs> explanation of that um when i started doing these talks in early days of the podcast i started feeling this pull of like i think this is like more my calling more my passion than illustration and i was having an identity crisis and it wasn't until I heard a public speaker who I, I, you know, that I was had listened to, someone doing a, like a TED talk or something, and they said, "Now I want to tell you a story to kind of explain what I mean. Uh, let me give you a little illustration." And I was like, "Like the analogies and metaphors and stories are illustrations. The, they're the it, it they're the exact same thing I'm trying to do with pictures or words. The why is the same." And so for me, yeah, the labels and the, and, the, and the income streams and all that, it's all muddy and it'll evolve over time because podcasts might be gone tomorrow, but what I'll be doing is the same. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Andy J Pizza.
A recent study shows that 70% of companies are investing more in interactive prototyping. Put a design in someone's hands that looks, feels, and behaves like a real product. It's the way of the future. And Framer is here to help, making it easy to upskill in just hours, not days. Easy onboarding and design-as-you-go tutorials teach you how to use powerful, insertable components, create custom animations and transitions, and even make a full prototype in a matter of minutes. Ready to take your skills to the next level? Sign up for free or get 20% off any paid plan by visiting framer.com slash the future. That's framer.com slash the future. Hello, future family. It's Greg again, and I'm here to take a quick second to tell you about Hover, one of our sponsors for this episode. Whether you're a fledgling agency or a solo freelance designer, you want clients to take you seriously. And having your own website and domain is the first important step in that process. Luckily, Hover makes it easy for you to do just that. And with over 300 domain name extensions to choose from, you can find the perfect fit for your own creative brand. Now, if you're a traditionalist, go for that.com. But if you want to mix it up, you can always try .design, .art, and even .ink for all you illustrators and tattoo artists out there. My personal favorite, .pizza. Hover's website is clean and super easy to use, and I know all you designers out there will appreciate that level of user experience. But if you do run into trouble, they offer fantastic technical support, so you've always got someone there to help you through it. Set your online brand up for success by visiting hover.com slash the future and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That's hover.com slash the future. And make a name for yourself with Hover. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to our conversation with Andy J. Pizza. I want to say one quick thing in case you guys are joining us. I'm talking to Andy J. Pizza. That's not his real name. His real name is Andy J. Miller. And he runs a podcast called The Creative Pep Talk. And I believe he's got a couple of books out. One by the same name, Creative Pep Talk. Yeah. True. And a bunch of uh, adult coloring books. Yeah. Right? Andy I think I said that right. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It sounded scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you They're were one of the early people all to do ages. that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that they existed in some form or another, but I think this was uh, one of the first kind of mainstream, you know, thing. it was on TV and it was all these things. And the funny thing is, again, the real lesson for this is listen to your wife because I did this coloring book. It's called the Indie Rock Coloring Book. Uh, this is in 2009. It ended up making a really big splash. It, like I said, they were on TV and it was covered by, you know, all the gift guides, all that crap. And I thought, oh, the reason why is this is it's a product about indie rock. And my wife was like, I think there's something to this adult coloring thing. You should maybe make more coloring books. And I was like, nah, if that's, it's not that. And then like, lo and behold, like 500 illustrators came in and just flooded the right. market with adult coloring, which is fine. That's not really what I want to be about anyway. But I did. We definitely missed some uh, some paydays. Uh, I would say <laughs> now for the, just for people who don't know what these things are, we're not yeah. talking about like pornographic coloring books. We're talking about coloring books <laughs> <No>. <laughs> designed for adults. Yes, right. Yeah, and it's absolutely. like sophisticated artwork. And I bought a couple of myself. There's, 
I don't know if anyone will ever ever, ever see that, but that is. Yeah, but the is. thing is, it, it, it's kind of one of these things where you buy and you're like, I love this, but I've ne actually never colored any of those books that I've purchased. <laughs> yeah. I just like the yeah. artwork too much. I think I think that's right? for a lot of people. They're good right. gifts. That's the other yeah. thing. That A lot of the book market is gifty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, now I want to circle back to this thing that you, you wanted to start the podcast because you wanted people to book you for public speaking. And it was like, okay, fine. You don't want to hire me for public speaking. I'll do it. I'll prove it. So when did you drop the first podcast to how long did it take? How many episodes in before they're like, we need to get Andy to do a talk for us? Yeah, I think I, uh, we started in 2014. Mm -hmm. uh, I had the serendipity of starting the same exact week as Serial, which is where podcasts started to blow up. So I was, I was lucky in that regard. Um, but I would say it was, I knew, so I, I have this theory about, I'm a real non-dual thinker. You know, I like the Wait, You're a real non-what? Non-dual thinker, like non, like okay. non-binary. It's like, it's not this or that. It's not, you know, and so a lot of people, there's two camps when it comes to how you should approach your personal practice or personal projects. So it's either grit, like just keep swimming, just mm -hmm. keep swimming, no matter what, ignore all the signs, just, just keep doing it. Or there's this thing of never stop pivoting. So just fail fast, MVPs, just, you know, and that's like a kind of opposed in a way. And, uh, and so for me, projects are the perfect uh, middle of those things because you can set your parameters from the get-go that allow you to think, okay, how much data do I need to collect to know if this is a worthwhile experience? And so for me, when I started the podcast, I knew I had guaranteed, I had, uh, I had committed to making 100 episodes. Even if nobody seemed to care, even if it wasn't going well, even if I didn't get any conference gigs, anything like that. And so when I started out, you know, after the first year, like 50 podcasts in, uh, my listener, my listenership was super low. It was like 500 people an episode, something like that. And I, you know, super low in comparison to where, where we are now. And I remember you know, this is another kind of core value for me is as you're, you know, metal detecting of which way should I go early on, you got, you got to kind of take heavier stock in uh, qualitative data rather than quantitative. And so the numbers weren't huge, but the feedback I was getting was the deepest, most sincere, enthusiastic feedback of any creative project I'd done. So I knew I was on something and I'd committed to doing 100 episodes. I would say it probably wasn't until I was, you know, 50, 60 episodes in over a year before I got my first uh, conference gig. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was quite a bit. And then after that, you know, after about 100, I was doing, you know, before all this stuff went down, I was doing, you know, one to three gigs a month and it became a big significant part of everything that I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to circle back to that. Sure. Cause that's impacted all of us, but just so that everybody's who's listening to this, like, what is he saying? Duality, dual thinker. I think it's <laughs> yeah. like you start out with a plan mm -hmm. and you have to be open enough to see like where that plan takes you because you know, episode 37, you, you might be thinking this is not where I want to be. Yes. And, and but then you grow into this whole thing and you learn to love it and you, you start to perfect your craft. You get much better at it. And then you think this could just be its own thing. Like the end goal could be this thing. And it turns out that it is. That's exactly yeah. what happened. Right? That is what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. And actually, um, this is a thing I think about a lot where, you know, the Indie Rock Coloring Book, like all these projects, they were a response to an obstacle of like the thing I want, there's a huge barrier in between me getting to, to from me into that. And so the Indie Rock Coloring Book is a good example too of I created that so that I could get into the band poster, you know, CD or, a, you know, album art and all that kind of stuff. And the project itself actually ended up being so much more interesting and valuable than ever getting to do any of that work, which I did do some of that work. And the podcast was kind of the same. There was a moment where I was doing all these talks and actually the podcast was making more money than the talks. The podcast, you know, was a better format in all kinds of different ways. And so I'm, you know, I always tell people like, 
don't avoid wilderness. You know, if there's a huge paved road to success and there's like cottage industry set up alongside it to help you get there, you know, risk-free convenience, uh, you know, easily with convenience, like the treasure at the end of that road is gone. So like, don't be afraid of the obstacles. Don't be afraid of the wilderness. If there's booby traps there, there's still treasure left. And so that it's it's just like you know what you were saying about the about the podcast like it ended up being more interesting than the goal really yeah. the 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 process there if that makes sense yeah i love this whole wilderness idea seth godin talks about this and, and he points out that you should desire to seek the things that are difficult because it means fewer people are doing it yes. scarcity creates value so if it was yep. easy for everybody to to have a successful podcast then you would be buried and nobody would would treat you like you're special or different or unique Okay, so yeah. you're working up to this thing. It's like many, many episodes in that you finally get your gig. And then you wind up doing, I, I looked at your page and you're mm -hmm. speaking all over the place and very yeah. frequently, as you say. And a couple of questions about that. So this is something I struggle with. Mm. You and I, I imagine we speak at similar conferences for creative people. Yeah. Your whole thing is creative pep talk, right? Yep. Now, creative uh, conferences, their ticket prices are relatively low. Their audience size is relatively small. Mm-hmm. Like, are, and I, I have a problem with this because I see people who contribute the value that people you and I aspire to create in the world, and they're getting paid a hundred thousand bucks or eighty thousand or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm not seeing any numbers like that. I mean, what's your experience been like, and how do you feel about that? Uh, I I have a lot of conflicting feelings about mm -hmm. that, and a lot of ideas about you know we, I have, um, yeah the. Man, there's there's so many threads that I could pull out here, but you're totally right. I mean, f first of all, like I'll tell you one thing. I started a class online. I promise this is relevant. I know it seems like a random <laughs> tangent, um, but, uh, but I started a class and I was charging what what it would cost to audit one class at a college. That's uh, for this online class. We were doing it per semester, and I had some kind of top uh, design adjacent person who you know was some kind of thought leader in the design space challenged the price and i remember thinking like this mindset uh like first of all this isn't a lot of money if you think this is a lot of money you're already in trouble because you're in america you know when i when i was uh starting out i thought man if i could earn 30k a year yeah. or 40k a year i'll be set mm -hmm. then i earned 60k and i was like I still feel like I'm poor. Like I, you know, especially when you're working on your own with the taxes and all that stuff and healthcare. And, and so I think, uh, there is this limited mindset in the creative world. We, you know, we, we, we massively undervalue ourselves. And, and on top of that, we're the ones that end up getting hurt because they're, th this person was critiquing me while there are non-creatives uh, at the top of the top schools, banking millions and millions of dollars on people going hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And, and yet you want to critique the creative person making a dollar. And I just think, so first of all, I just think there's all these dynamics in money and creativity that are just massively out of whack. So I, I totally agree with that. And then on top of that, you know, in terms of my, my own personal journey with, uh, you know, speaking fees in the creative world, you know, I learned from Draplin. Uh, he's a buddy of mine, and he taught me about the merch game, and we upped our merch game. It's still nothing compared to his, but that's one way that we offset things is, is through things like that. But it's not just that. I also... I also kind of, this is, man, I, don't, I wish I knew how to pull at this without it unraveling into a huge other thing, but I always think of all of these projects and pursuits through the lens of this thing I call the, uh, the industry market niche bullseye. And it's really, uh, there's a lot of weeds here and I'll try not to get into them, but um, your industry, that's your creative field, mine's illustration, yours is design, your market, the little sector in which you earn a living and other people earn a living, your niche is how you're different in that market. And so when I started out in the, in the podcast world, I, I saw myself as I'm in the illustration industry. I'm in the market of 
the groups of people who do talks. And in the, in the niche is a very particular type of talk. It's, a, it's my, the pizza thing, the, the weird thing, the pep talk thing, whatever. All my differentiators, all the unique selling points. But I always kind of, even from the beginning, thought I'm going to invert that thing. Like eventually I'm not going to be the illustrator with the podcast. I'm going to be the podcaster who's the illustrator. Mm-hmm. That'll be, and so I, always, I guess I'd always kind of, it doesn't really fix the problem of, you know, the bad mindset of money and, and ticket prices and, and speaking fees. But it was my own personal solution was I'm not going to stay in this. I'm not going to stay in this industry uh, long term. I'm going to. I'm going to branch out and be a, a, a public speaker too. You know, I, the funny thing is, I, you know, I have a buddy who's in the kids, uh, you know, the high school speaking circuit. And he makes, compared to you and me, when, when we're doing a design conference, he makes probably triple what they offer speaking at high schools. And so there was just this, I, I don't know. Does that help? It's really an honest no, yes. answer, yes, but it's it not really a, a, a solution as such. It's a complex thing, in, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, I want to weigh in on this and maybe pull you into the water with me. But yeah, feel let's free do it. to, like, yeah, Chris, uh, you're on your own, drown, buddy. <laughs> yeah. This is your thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we know this. Yeah. Creative people don't exactly have a healthy mindset around money. It's no. so like we don't want to spend it. We don't want to ask for it. We don't want to be paid what we think we're worth. And when we hear of people getting paid a lot of money, instead of saying congratulations, that's a great role model to like build into. We start mm-hmm. casting stones at them. They're being greedy. They're just uh, overinflated, uh, overpriced and just nonsense. Right. Yes. So people who run conferences, the design conferences that we're talking about, tend to also be designers and creative people. Yeah. So like yeah. this isn't worth much. And so they underprice everything. So they, they're barely keeping it together. Most people who run conferences that I know, of, they're barely breaking even. It's a labor of love. Yeah. And here I am. And as I think you are, you're trying to help creative people make a living doing creative things. So yes. it's weird that I would then go to a conference where I'm undervaluing my own worth, having to create and I've done it too, merch or other ways of supporting it. Like when the fundamental business is, in my opinion, broken. Because yeah. if you can't run a sustainable business where you pay a fair wage to everybody that works for you, then you have a busted business that's really relying on the goodwill of these creators. And I have yep. a problem with that. I absolutely have a problem with that. In fact, the other thing that we were doing before COVID hit was we we decided... Not that I full stop wouldn't speak at conferences, especially if the fees were right and and whatnot. Uh, but we also just decided to do our own tour dates. We we started t- setting that all up. I worked with my my agent, and the and the way that he works with our artists, the co loop artists, is pretty unorthodox. We're trying to do a new thing. He's as much as of an agent as he is a manager, and so he was helping me manage this tour, set up those dates, create guests, and then between us three, me, Ryan, and the other speaker, we're the people where the money is is being funded or, mm-hmm. or funneled. And um, and yeah, that was again. I guess the takeaway to that is um, is to think use that creativity not just in your work but in your business model. Right. It was just every time I would get to the. Same thing happened. That's why I started teaching online was I was working at an art school and I just had all these critiques and it's this, there's a James, uh, there's a James Murphy quote from LCD sound system. He says the best way to complain is to make something. And then there's this philosopher. uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he said in a utopia, there wouldn't be any critics. There would, the only way to critique something would be to make a different thing. And wow. so when I, isn't that amazing, dude, I if think the world was like all that? the time, come on, yes. it's amazing. And, and so when I get into those zones and I don't like it, I don't want to create my own tour dates. Really? That's not how I want to spend any energy. And, and luckily I have Ryan to help. He, he helped me, helps me, uh, often with that managerial stuff that, that weighs me down and administrative and all that. Um, but we just, we strategized, we thought about like, we, we tried to go in on, um, one of the conferences and tried to team up with them, help them think about, this is the value that all of your speakers are bringing. They're the ones selling the tickets. Here's the models. Here's how, and here's how, by the way, I go speak in other industries. Here's how they do it. These are the affiliates. This is how, these are all the different levels. And I tried to collaborate on a deep level on the business side, 
Um, and it just, it just wouldn't budge. These, these ideas are so entrenched that I felt like the only thing I can do is just create my own version, um, as a, as a mode of critique. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I want to reemphasize that basically the harder way of hearing that, the, the, the more kind of a dramatic way of saying this is there's no whining. Yeah. No whining. Basically you don't like something, you have a better idea because everybody's got an idea and ideas are cheap, you go make it. And if you're successful at that, that sets a new pattern of thinking and then says, yeah, you see, I proved it. And so you booked your own tour dates, your own venues, so that you can put the money in the hands of the people who are actually contributing value, not necessarily event organizers. Nothing against them, but just the model is just busted. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Tina Tina Roth Eisenberg, who I know everybody's probably a big fan of, she talks about this a lot with the, she mentions that uh, LCD sound system quote and says she only allows herself to complain one time before making something. I love that. That's, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. it's useful. Okay, you shared the story on stage and I want to bring it back. You said that uh, you have spent many days laying on the ground face down wondering if you're going to go broke. (laughs) True. And yeah. then that drove you. I don't know if this is like a story to drive a point or if really this is kind of how it <laughs> happened. I get it if it's either yeah, one yeah. <laughs> where you're like, I need to read some business books. And then you said, I looked at them and then finally I read them. Tell yes. me about that and what was the first business book and the one that popped in your mind? Yeah, so that that, that is a true story. That You know, I graduated right in the recession and at the time my work was just basically trend based it was you know not not really any unique selling point and that's the stuff that's first to go in a recession um you know and so i ended up i had already quit my job i'd already i was going full-time freelance we'd moved to from england to america that's a whole other story um and you know for six months i didn't get an illustration job so, and, and we, we literally, we had bill collectors. This is like 2009 or 2010. Um, just, it was a dire scene. And I was, I was depressed. I was literally self-medicating with naps of where I would literally just. <laughs> that's pretty good medication I, though. Yeah, it's not, it's not the worst. That's for sure. No. Um, and were, I, you, were you starting to think about the psych ward again? Like, you know, there's that other option. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, I painted myself into a corner because right before, like, Right, everything was going so well. I got married. Uh, we got a house. We 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 were renting this house, kind of, and mm. we had a kid. And so I, you know, Plan B of the psych ward was off the table because now <laughs> I had a kid, and I was <laughs> I thought I don't need Plan B. I'll you have screwed yourself over on that one. I did. I had no other oh option. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, all this, you know, create the creative path was a way to get out of traditional employment because I'd had traditional employment, part-time jobs, terrible at them, lost money, just it was disaster. My, my mom actually is the same thing and she's why I was like, I gotta find a different weird path to success. Right. Because um, traditional employment feels like jail to me. And when I was in that dark time, I had to get a part-time job. The only thing I could find in the place we were living was in a juvenile detention center. So I went from spending all of my time and effort to avoid traditional <laughs> employment because it felt like a jail to in traditional employment in a jail. For kids. So that's where I was. Yeah, for kids. So that's where I was. I was laying face down on the living room floor, taking naps to, you know, escape. Um, so that, that's where I was. And I, and I think, um, I, that's when I say I hit rock bottom. Yeah. I turned to one of the darkest things in the mind of the artists and it's business books. Self-help business books, yeah. self-development. <laughs> yeah. I thought, oh dear God, what have I become? You like, know what, Andy? These, you were yeah, at the gates what? of hell and the, and yeah. the doors were made of business books so you either go they through were. or you pick the, the gate yeah. of hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. And, and so I, I started, this is actually how I got into podcast. I started listening to podcasts and um, you know, I'm trying to think of the earliest ones. Michael Hyatt was a big one early on. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He has um, his book Platform was a game changer. And it was it was it was just all about it was ahead of its time. And it was just saying, you know, if you want if you want to be an illustrator or a, he didn't say illustrator, but designer, whatever you want to do, if you want to be an author, you need to build your platform online yeah. because this is how decisions are being made. And these are the things you need to do to do that. Um, so that was a big one, but then even I, I stumbled into Gary V pretty early on. And, um, although our styles are very different and he definitely has some core values that don't align with mine. Um, I, you know, he, I get a kick out of him, but more than anything, 
the thing that changed, you know, I was looking into, you know, the stories of Steve Jobs and I was looking at all of these business superheroes. And I think that one of the things that changed everything for me was when I realized the business world thinks these people are uh, unicorns. They think they're ones in billions when the fact of the matter is they're creators. They're creative people. This is what, this is the actual foundation of business. Creative people in business, these aren't oppositional forces. Like, you know, every, you say, people say, when are you going to do an episode on business? And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And they're like, you know, accounting, taxes, finance. And I'm like, those are like the ba business basics that you outsource that's not the secret of business. The secret of business is creativity, strategy, like problem solving, providing value. Like all of these things are the, the wheelhouse of the creative. And so that reading those business books shifted my perspective dramatically towards like, not only am I do, not doomed in business, but I've got the secret sauce. Like us creators are so valuable in the, in the world of business and, I, and all these ideas like um, content marketing and just all, all providing value and all these things just started to uh, make a ton of sense. And I started, and I, and also at the time I didn't see anybody in our world thinking or talking about any of this stuff. And so I had done the hard work and most of the podcast is the translation from the business world to the creative world in real time of how do I put all these principles in play because all their examples aren't exactly one for one relevant to what I'm trying to achieve. And so it was a lot of trial and error and, you know, making my own version. You know, one of the leaps I made, I realized I was studying all this content marketing and I was like, oh, this is what designers call personal projects. And when you, when you approach a personal project, you can approach it as a self-discovery tool and that works great. But if you're trying to use it to promote your business, if you use these content marketing, content strategy ideas, you can like supercharge these things. And that's where ideas like po a podcast that's a portfolio of talks came from. But I did, you know, I did six or seven of those projects um, that mirrored the goals that I wanted to achieve. Mm. Okay, so it seems to me the, the big epiphany for you was to see business people as a reflection of yourself, the business people, the successful ones that you admire, not all of them, obviously. No. They were creative people who were able to do something a little bit different. So it wasn't a giant leap. It was just a, a pivot, if you will, that they were able to recognize their own creativity as a gift that's valuable and to be able to relay that to other people. Yeah. 100%. The rest of us are stuck. We don't see what we do is special. <laughs> There's no value there. So forget it. We, we can't even recognize it. So forget about relaying it to somebody else. Yes. And I would say, I would just add one thing. One of my biggest core beliefs is to go find people like you doing things you never knew you could do. This is the, this is a, there's a, um, there's this limiting belief. Uh, I'm a fan. One of these people that I got in, in that time was Zig Ziglar, who was like a motivational speaker for sales people back in the day. And uh, one of the, he tells the story. It's really good. And it's about if you put, um, I think they're, I want to say, what are they? They're, they're, I don't know if they're, they're not fleas. They're jumping something. They're fleas. They're little, I know the story. Are they fleas? Oh, How you know train it. Fleas. Okay. Yes. Say it. Do you know? Yes. Yeah, I, tell I know the story. It. You tell so the story. He says, I mean, this is a real story, apparently. You can train yeah. fleas. If you put, uh, if fleas can jump like a, a gigantic exponential amount of their height, like say 300 yeah. times their height. And you put them inside of a jar. And then when they jump, they bounce their heads against the jar. And after a while, they learn to not jump as high as they used to because they don't want to hit their head. Yeah. Then he says, all you have to do is then take off the lid and they will never jump out. It's about us falling to meet our own expectations, like whatever low expectations we have of ourselves. Yeah. Yep. And, I, and so for me, so much of my growth has come from finding people, like I said, doing things, finding people like me doing things that I didn't know I could do. And so, you know, it's this, my favorite version of this story, it's kind of a spoiler for a Harry Potter book, but I think everyone's had their chance at this point. Um, so there's this point at the end of one of the Harry Potters where he sees, uh, he's getting attacked by Dementors. You know this part? 
Okay, you're familiar with the story. There's there he's by this lake. On the other side of the lake, this shadowy figure comes out, does this crazy powerful magic and all the dementors flee and he thinks it's his dad. And he's like, "Oh man, I can't believe it." And so anyway, later they're doing time travel magic and he thinks, "I'm going to go back there to see my dad cast this spell." I'm going to catch him. And so he goes there and he's watching his past self being attacked by the Dementors. He's waiting for his dad to show up and do this powerful magic. And then he realizes his dad's not coming and he has to be the one to cast the magic. And he does this spell that he's never known, never knew that he could do. And then later Hermione's like, how did you know that you could do that spell? And he says, cause I'd already seen myself do it. And this is the power of when you see yourself in somebody doing stuff that you didn't know you could do, it just instantly unlocks that. And it happened the first time I met an illustrator, I, I recognized myself in them. They were a full-time illustrator. And I thought, I can do this. And then I, this just happened over and over in my path of searching out people like me doing things I didn't know I could do. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a game changer. Great way to tap into Harry Potter lore. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you've not seen it or read the books at this point, I'm sorry. It's, you have had the Statue of Limitations <laughs> yeah. and Spoilers has expired. That's right. You're but that was perfect. Right. It was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So back to Zig Ziglar. You, mm -hmm. We were all the fleas in the jar. Yes. There's no lid. And then one day, you're the smart flea. You look over and like, what are all these other fleas doing outside? Jumping five times as high as we are. And then you remembered. You dug back in. You're like... I can do this if I try, and you do yes. it, and then yes. you're out of Absolutely. there, and now you're calling back to the other fleas in your creative pep talk, saying, yeah. yo, fleas, what's up? We yo, can do this. Everybody get jump. out. jump. Yes. Jump. That's exactly it. I think our whole system, you know, a lot of us don't, don't realize our system is built, this is a Seth Godin thing, on the Industrial Revolution. That's what our school systems are built on. They're, they're all built on these, uh, and, and it's all built on the average human. They said they wanted to make people into uh, replaceable parts, interchangeable parts. Basically, what are the most common attributes of a human? And we'll bet on that. We'll maximize those things so that if this one breaks down on the factory line, we could just plop in another one, just, just like it's a spark plug. And the creative person doesn't fit the mold. And so that system doesn't know what to do with all of that. They don't know what to do with all the stuff that's unique about you. And the truth is all that diversity in our neurochemistry, that's where all the gold is. And so if you're going, if, we're, if you're living in this system, you're going to have to be the one to discover yourself. You're there's no, they don't have their tests and their metal detectors and all that, they're not searching for that, what, what you have, because it's never been on the planet. And so that, that relates to this flea thing because that, that's what I'm trying to do is go look in, study yourself, don't wait for your fairy art mother to show up and tell you who you are and tell you what your gifts are and tell you what you're capable of. You've got to take charge of discovering yourself. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I want to follow up with you at some other point in time, but I find it remarkable that you're able to make a living sharing helpful advice for creative people, especially through your podcast. We have mm. similar numbers to, uh, like you in your terms of podcast yeah. downloads, but we, we can't monetize it. So I, I hope we... Really? I don't want to bore our Let's audience talk. about that, but I'd like to reach yeah. out after. But okay, I want to take back... Uh, I, I think this is an appropriate way to potentially find a bookend to our conversation, which is this. is uh, You've mentioned your wife a couple of times. Yeah, my wife has been instrumental in slapping me in the face, uh, metaphorically speaking, and saying, "What are you doing?" Yeah. And mm -hmm. like, listen to me. I'm like, "Oh, a new business is born here," and yes. I just can't emphasize enough how important it is, whether you're, you're gay, straight, or married, or single, or whatever, that your creative partner in life, however you define that, is mm -hmm. really critical to your own mental health and potentially yes. your wealth. So, one hundred. This is your opportunity, Andy, to. Speak directly to all those people. It's like, tell, tell us what your wife has done for you and, and has yeah. helped you in your career in life. I think, uh, I mean, in so many ways, she is, she's involved in everything that I do. She's been a big part of every major decision that I've made. I think more than anything, she has been a 
uh, a, a mirror to my soul. And I'll explain just real quickly what I mean by that. But this is, um, I was doing all this, I was doing this episode about how we like creative work because it mirrors our soul. And, and, and uh, there's this George Bernard Shaw quote that says, we use an actual mirror to see our face. We see art, we use art to see our soul. And I was talking to my buddy about this and he said, oh, it's kind of like when there's no mirror around and I'm at a party with my wife and we get a second alone, she'll like show me her teeth. And it means, do I have anything in my teeth, right? Uh, and this is what I imagine we must have done before we had mirrors, before you could actually just check, check yourself. And it's so important because your face is so much about who you see yourself as. It's a big part of your identity. But even more than that is your soul and your, your neurochemistry, who you are inside. And so you need things to, sh to mirror that back. So for me, just like my buddy's wife showing, you know, looking at each other's teeth and saying, yeah, you got stuff in there. That's what Sophie has been for me. She constantly shows me the things about myself that I can't see any other way because there aren't real soul mirrors. One day, maybe we'll get the technology and we won't need spouses. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> even then, I'm sure there's, yeah, there's all kinds of things, but but that is what she's done. She's been able to uh, help me gain self-awareness. And self-awareness, I honestly think, I'll give you just one more little illustration to explain that. Uh, I always compare, do you ever watch Smallville back in the day? Okay, Smallville, Superman in high school, can't even fly, right? It, and that's, I think that's the only reason anybody watched it, by the way. It's just like, that's what they, they knew they had that on us. Like, is he gonna fly this episode? Oh, I didn't fly. Like, um, and, but so anyway, what's the difference between Smallville Clark Kent and super universe saving Superman of the big screen? I think everybody's answer, the quick answer is the superpowers. Like I said, Clark Kent, uh, high school Clark Kent can't even fly. He can't, he doesn't know crap about his powers. This guy's got all these powers, but it's, it's not the powers. It's the knowledge of the powers. They have the same powers. The difference is the self-awareness. And so I think more than anything, that that's what Sophie has done for me. Is she's just always able to, you know, after I'm sure you've felt this. You go to a party or something, you guys have a long conversation, your your spouse is there. And uh after you leave, you're like, can you just tell me what I was like in that conversation? Cause I <laughs> and and sometimes she's like, You were unbearable. Like these are the ways you offended them, you didn't realize. And and that is that is the key. That to me, that has been uh invaluable. Mm. My wife has been less of a soul mirror. I didn't think of it like that. And more of a truth yeah. sayer. Like when I go and <laughs> yeah. talk about yeah. she's a truth sayer. And what happens is I think we walk around knowing very well, maybe you were unbearable. Maybe, maybe yeah. I had something that I should be doing, but I'm afraid to do it. And she'll just say it to me. And at first I'm like, I don't want to hear that's like, I want, I want to escape. I I'm, I'm trying not to, to, face that fact and that reality and you saying it now I'm forced to like god you see it too okay all right yeah I have to do this and she's the one who had asked me this question while I was teaching she said I know you love this I know you're good at it I could see that do you feel like you could teach more people than the 10 people in this classroom mm -hmm. she didn't have the answer she she had the provocation and I was like mm. dang and then months later started making YouTube videos Yes. I mean, that infinite. I have so many stories like that. I could yeah. go on and on, but my, there is a lot of, you know, if there's any troll, I don't, I'm lucky. I don't get a lot of that, mm -hmm. but if I do get a little bit here and there, you know, I'll talk to my wife and she'll, she, she's honest. She's the truth sayer. Mm -hmm. She'll say, you know what? There might be truth there. You, maybe you need to think about that. And I'm like, okay, I need to think about it. But often she's like, you know, that's not true. And you and right. I can see you making decisions to appease those people, mm. and I'm not gonna let you do that. You mm. can't. We're not gonna make our family choices because some trolls on the internet. Right. Um, so she'll call the BS. Well, bravo uh, when she sees it. Yeah. Bravo, Mrs. Pizza. Yeah. <laughs> bravo. <laughs> okay. I realize our our time is up here, and I want to ask you this question, and it's a yeah. it's not a serious question. So I'm, I'm going to riff off this pizza thing. Yeah. What are two topics? Uh, two <laughs> toppings never to have on a pizza, and what two toppings must you have on a pizza? 
That's a great question, and it's going to get really controversial here, here because I am in the camp. No pineapple. I know it hurts. It does hurt. But here's my problem with it. It just changes the dish. It's a totally different thing. And here's the thing. I have eaten it and been like, yeah, this is fine. But it's not pizza. You've changed the fundamentals of what I'm looking for in a pizza. So that's my first one. And I actually don't love mushrooms, which it kind of bums me out because it's such a classic topping to draw on a pizza. And so I do include them often, but (laughs) they just kind of ruin it for me. Again, if there's pineapple and mushroom, I will still eat the pizza. I'm not going to just completely discriminate. (laughs) Now, when it gets gets to the good stuff... I have I have my like, you know, blue collar topping. I was I was raised in southern Indiana and I was a pepperoni pizza guy. I love pepperoni. But then, you know, I lived in England for five years. My 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 uh you know, we can't we would camp in France for with my wife's family. So I got a little taste, just a tiny taste of the fancy. And I'd have to say goat cheese mm. is is the is the second topping that I can't live without. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta have it. Bravo, Andy. You did not disappoint because <laughs> a normal mortal would fumble all over these questions and be stammering right. through it. Like, oh, let me think about yeah. this. And there you are. You came in like a champ. I know that the whole pineapple, the pea, the pineapple is polarizing. It will divide. We've lost half of our subscribers. Things. I know. Episode. I didn't want to say it. Why'd you have to press yes, me? Yes. But there we are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Andy, for people who want to find out more about what you're doing to listen to the podcast or follow you on social media, where do they need to go? Yeah, you can go to uh, uh, find me on Instagram at Andy J Pizza. That's where I'm most active. And then Creative Pep Talk on wherever podcasts are proliferated. All, it, wherever they are, Creative Pep Talk is there. Definitely go check it out. Andy, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks, Chris. I had a, an absolute blast. Great questions. I hope to get to do it again. My name is Andy J Pizza, and you are listening to the future. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you're new to the future and want to know more about our educational mission, visit thefuture.com. You'll find more podcast episodes, hundreds of YouTube videos, and a growing collection of online courses and products covering design and business. Oh, and we spell the future with no E. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. This episode was mixed and edited by Anthony Barrow with intro music by Adam Sanborn. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It's a tremendous help in getting our message out there. And, you know, let us know what you like. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.